Welcome to Synergize This, where we talk all things training, health, and fitness. I'm your host, Sin. Yo, what is going on, everybody? Welcome back to episode number seven. Today, we're going to talk about two things. First one is more of a training one, and that is deloading. Do we need a deload? Deloading basically just means taking time off your training or reducing the the volume or intensity of a training isn't necessary for most of us. We'll find out later. And the second one, more of a mindset one, is what exactly is stopping you? These things are very important and I really want to talk about them today because de-learning is very common in the fitness community. A lot of it is prescribed based on the belief that we actually do need to deload. Most of the time, we probably don't. And what is stopping you? This is something that I want to delve much deeper into the mindset of how a lot of us are programmed by our environment and by society. Because of that, we place many limitations on what we actually want to do in life and the person that we want to become. It becomes a big hindrance for most people. It's very difficult to break out of that. Even if you do know that you deserve much better and you should do better. But staying is just so much more easier. Now, let's get into the first topic, why I want to talk about deloading. So it's been a week since High Rocks and normally I'm not too fatigued or sore after a training session or a big workout. Sometimes after CrossFit, it might be two days. It just depends on what I do. But because High Rocks is a big competition, and there's so much volume and so much load and so much impact and stress on the body in that in that one one workout that it probably will take you five to seven days to recover. And you don't do this every week unless your body's probably adapted to it. You don't do it every week. The thing that was giving me the most grief were my quads. And normally that's a big indication to me that my quads are weak compared to my hamstrings and my glutes. So I know my deadlifts, I can deadlift 220 plus. I don't know what my one RM is, but my squat is pretty weak. I can only squat about 160 for one rep. And I know my quads are an issue and I'm not going to make any excuses up and say, oh, well, I've got a long way down, a long way up. I'm long limbed. That's all just rubbish. Just an excuse. I just need to work on my quads much more. So next time I do high rocks next year, I want to do men's pro. Or I can absolutely smash it with more juicy quads. And who doesn't want big quads? Big quads are nice. Now, what I was thinking about because of deloading was it took me about five, six days to actually train again. And a high rocks is a one-off. It's a competition where most people aren't used to that volume and you're not going to train the next day. It's You're in pain. Your range of motion is heavily reduced. Your DOMS, your delayed onset muscle soreness, is heavily increased. It's at a peak so there's literally no point in training other than trying to get your food in, get some adequate rest, uh, get your liquids in, electrolytes, blah, 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 sodium, all that stuff. What deloading is for most people, what, what I've learned about deloading is when I first started learning about training and making my own program, programming, exercise selection, how often to do things, the, the macro, meso, micro cycles, all that stuff. What I kept coming across was something called a deload. When I started looking into deloads and thinking like, why do I need to do one every four weeks? I don't understand. What's the whole point? A deload is reducing the amount of work that you do by 50, 60, sometimes 70%. Some, there's different numbers. It just depends on what you get prescribed or how you prescribe it to yourself. So you 
let's say, for example, in a month, your first three weeks, you just train normally. And your fourth week, you reduce your training load by half, 60, 70%, whatever. And it could mean instead of doing three sets of eight to 10, you might do one to two sets of eight to 10 with half the weights, or you might even reduce the reps. You might reduce everything. Weights, reps, increase rest time. There's so many things that you can do to deload quotation marks. I wish I can see my quotation marks. And I was thinking about whether or not it's actually really necessary because I know when I was training and I was deloading every fourth week, I felt fresh. I felt really good. And I was thinking, well, isn't the whole point of a deload supposed to be if I'm not feeling fresh, I should deload. And then when I feel fresh, I can go hard again. The whole notion of deloading and the science behind it is by the end of the third week, your body has probably built up a large amount of fatigue. And if you were to continue training the same way you've been training for the last three weeks, you would begin to plateau and you'd see no progress. By deloading in your fourth week and reducing the volume, you allow your body to recover and get into this state of super compensation. So if you look at a graph, you know, um, like a little bell curve, as you go from negative to positive, let's say like negative two to zero on a Cartesian plane for anyone playing at home, reducing your load and your frequency and intensity, blah, 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 on your fourth week with a deload, it means it allows your body to come back up above uh, zero, above uh, neutral to get stronger again. And then you repeat that every cycle. So every four weeks you do a deload and it allows you to keep going up and up and up. Now this whole idea that training is linear is a fallacy. There's no such thing as linear. If training was linear, people will just get over lifting uh, weights. They can't put any more weights on the bar. They'll probably start having to lift up fucking cars, having trucks. And before you know it, people just fucking throw around houses. It just doesn't work like that. Um, training is not linear. And I know when I first started training people, I was about to prescribe a deload every four weeks and I realized who the fuck actually needs a deload? The average person does not need a deload. So the ones that actually do need to deload or reduce the frequency or intensity of their sessions or load management are elite level athletes. So for example, an English Premier League football player would train twice a day for two hours at a time, four hours, and they'd probably have two to three games a week. And if they're playing in Europe or they're playing some cup games, they might have an extra game. So the amount of work they do in a week compared to everyone else is super fucking high. They would then have people managing their load. Obviously, you have a, a lot of substitutions, big squads. So by rotation and being put out of the squad, being rested, they're being, they're, they're, their fatigue is being managed. And that's how they deload. And then you have other sports. You have the triathletes, the marathon runners, athletics, fighters, so many other sports, high-level sports that actually probably need to have a reduction in their training intensity or load based on competitions. The majority of people, I'd say 95% of people, maybe even more, I'm not going to say 100% because I don't want to be like, boom, it's 100% to everyone. They don't need a deload. There's no point in deloading. The only time you need a deload is if you actually feel super fatigued, you don't feel as strong, your central nervous system is really slow. It's not firing as fast. You, you don't feel 100%. Then that's maybe a time that you should probably deload. It's more 
by feel rather than prescription. So let's say you have a coach and you could, and your coach is prescribing you a deload every fourth week and you come in after three weeks of good intense training and you come in on your fourth week and you feel like you're going to absolutely fucking throw some weights around and hit a big PR and you look at your program and your fourth week says deload week and then you come in absolutely fresh going through the motions reducing your intensity reducing your volume just because it's prescribed even though deep down you know you probably don't need the deload there's no point so a lot of powerlifters deload as well look i'm not going to talk about powerlifting i think as well they don't need to deload as much as they they think they do we should look at more instead of the top down approach by coaching where this is prescribed to you this is what you need to do do it to a t we need to look more uh, bottoms up and see okay is the athlete feeling really fresh during their deload week if you are prescribing a deload i don't prescribe deloads i ask are you feeling fresh if you're feeling fresh let's fucking go hard today do you feel like shit if you feel like shit let's reduce the amount of volume that you do and we'll go from there that is more the bottoms up approach talking to the athlete talking to the client and having a good coaching um, relationship and understanding like what can i do what can you do where do you think you're at where do i think you're at let's meet in the middle and we'll go from there now believe it or not we deload all the time when you're sick guess what you're probably not training or you're not training as hard deload you're going on a holiday guess what deload you got something on you can't make it to training guess what deload everything that happens in your life that kind of doesn't stop you from training or just alters your training week that is a form of deloading we don't actually need to prescribe a deload every four weeks and say hey i know you're feeling good i know you're feeling fresh but take it easy today's a deload week we should have more of the approach of unless you feel like shit don't deload there's no point see how you feel at the start of your session check in with yourself you know ask yourself did i have an adequate amount of sleep am i stressed do i feel fresh do your warm-up sets add some weight to the bar see how it moves check your rpe if it moves well fucking go for it and if you feel like shit reduce a little bit you don't need to reduce your training by 50 to 70 percent just because it's prescribed or you think you need to do it cut the deloads out fuck them off next thing we're going to talk about is what is stopping you sometimes it's a what sometimes it's a who it's either a what or a who or it's probably a combination of both and what do i mean by this being a teacher one being a student first and then being a teacher i see both sides of the schooling system and there's a reason why i quit teaching i lost my passion for the job my whole point of teaching was to be able to help out a generation moving forward and build some rapport and connect with the kids and be a role model help them out with just developing as human beings not just cogs in the system <sighs> unfortunately when i started teaching that i realized that i was just a mouthpiece for the department of education i was a mouthpiece for the government i just regurgitated information i told kids to sit down and listen and then if they were speaking out against what i was teaching i'd have to explain to them like it's for their good it's a transferable skill especially when i was teaching fucking math and kids are like so why do we need to do algebra and you know what eventually by my last year i said look 
algebra is pointless. You don't need to do it. But I kept regurgitating again that it's a transferable skill. So I was saying something that I really wasn't believing. And yes, it can be a transferable skill. It's the whole point of learning is the process of learning and can you apply it to something else. But sometimes when you're teaching things that like just won't matter in the future of these kids' lives, it kind of goes against what you believe in and why you know you went into the job in the first place. And once I taught in the UK, and I, I love teaching in the UK, I taught at a school where kids were kicked out of mainstream schools and um, they're all troubled kids and they needed a role model and someone to you know look up to and it was all first name basis and I love that school. I really did. There were small classes of you know, four to six kids. And that for me was teaching. That that's what it was. It's building this connection with kids so you can kind of guide them or give them a nudge in the right direction in life. When I left that job, I was a fucking mess. Like I I, I was never more upset in, in my life leaving a job than I than I was leaving that job. And when I came back to Australia, I got a job working as a PE and math teacher at a school, you know, I've had six classes of thirty 30 fucking kids in the class. And by the time you build this connection with these kids, it's the end of the year. They're gone. A new class comes and you do the same thing again. And then every year, I had less and less input in the classroom. And every year, the stuff that we were being taught to teach or told to teach, I just didn't believe it. I just I just found it rubbish. I realized that all the stuff that I wish I learned in school, I still can't teach these kids in school. I'm not allowed to. So all the stuff that I think that we should teach in school, we still can't teach in school. And that's when I that's when I quit. And I realized that, you know, teaching is indoctrination. It just is. It's indoctrination. You're you're setting up these kids in a, a factory model of schooling. The standardization of testing and teaching, the respect for authority over the explanation of truth. <laughs> teaching is literally a, a factory. You're... As a teacher, you stand at the front, you see all the kids looking at you and what you're doing is like you're putting them on this uh, conveyor belt and you're molding them into these conformist beings that never question the status quo. They never step outside the box. They are too scared to ask questions or they feel uh, ostracized if they step out of what the general population is doing. I'm not going to get into some examples, but I'll, uh, thinking outside the box or critical thinking is not taught in schools. And I've noticed that with so many people that I've met in my life, especially after school, because obviously when you're in, indoctrinated in school, it's hard to break out of that. But a lot of people that I've met in my life, just the way they think about the world around them and about themselves and how they don't question Many things in their life, it's fuck, it fucking baffles me. It's baffling. And it's not that people aren't... Look, I guess intelligence and being smart are very different. You can be book smart. And a lot of kids in my school and even in uni and people I worked with were very book smart. They can regurgitate information and um, anything that they read, they can regurgitate to you. That for me isn't, isn't what... It's not what the thing is, right? That's being smart, quotation marks. I don't care. You can fucking recite the whole Bible to me back to front. I don't care. For me, intelligence is being able to have the understanding of your learning and putting it into context and having like, let's say, for example, we have a discussion about something and there is a problem there. How can you, with your knowledge, find a solution? How can we find a common ground? And that that's an issue these days. There is no common ground because of the way we've been indoctrinated. Because of this whole factory model of schooling, 
we've created people with a narrow mind of how what it means to be a human being how much they can do in school the ones that were not the thrill seekers but the ones that questioned the authority the ones that wanted to step outside the box they're the ones that were told to sit down and shut up if anything those are the ones that are the creative ones they're the ones that are questioning the things around us because if no one questions what's around us how can we as a society develop and start to grow and einstein fucking hated school he hated it with a passion and if you look at a lot of the people today that are rich or have created so much innovation in our society the things that you use today the things that you probably can't live without they fucking flunked out of school they left school uh, some didn't finish school some flunked out of university the ones that ended up finishing uni and getting nice jobs and working corporate and wearing a fucking suit every day you know yeah you're making 120 grand a year but to what cost you're working 14 16 hours a day you're wearing a fucking suit every day to work you're tr- you're commuting on a train full of other people standing up at like fucking seven in the morning. Like you're going to do that till you die, till you retire at 65. That fucking sucks. And what happens is because we're so also programmed so much in our school, we're also programmed by our family and the people around us. And deep down, we don't really know what is right for us. And getting into fitness and health, I'm sorry, that was a fucking whole rant. I get really passionate about this shit. But even myself, like, it took me a while to be like, you know what, fuck this, man. I don't really like this. None of this stuff is what I want. This is what my parents wanted me to do because I was the first one out of my family to, I think my mum did finish uni, but I was the first one out of my family to actually get a job from my from my uni degree. And I thought that was it. Like, I fucking made it, made my parents happy. But I didn't make myself happy. I didn't really. I, I knew deep down that I didn't want to do that for the rest of my life. And I got into coaching. I got into being a business owner. And I fucking, if I could live my life a hundred times over, I would do do that again. I will choose quitting teaching every single fucking time, just because I I know that's what I want to do. And the issue is, a lot of things are stopping us, and that could be family. It could be friends, it could be our partner, and most of the time it's society and what is the norm in our society? What is the person who's smiling in that photo? What does their life look like? What do they have? And what do they do? And that's the way that we measure success and happiness. And that's so, it's just arbitrary to just measure someone's success and happiness based on a smile, based on a, a highlight reel or a, or a photo or whatever on Instagram because you know, you can look at someone and, and it's happened so many times, people that are married with kids and they have their family photos and they're smiling. Most of the time, they're the most dysfunctional marriages that you can imagine. We as a society, we, we don't want to show the nitty gritty and the negatives of our life because we don't want others to judge us. What I've noticed with some of my clients or people that I've worked with, even friends or people that I've met is there's always something that is the issue to them achieving their goals. There's always something stopping them. And look, we always have to remember that we're solely responsible for the decisions we make in our life. Even though we do go through life in this sleep state. But if you're aware of your issues, you're not sleeping anymore. You're awake. Then the problem is, hey, you are awake now. You're in charge of your own issues. And 
if you're not going to deal with them, there's no point in complaining about your issues. Now, this can look like having a partner who's not supportive of your goals. Let's say both of you are unfit, unhealthy, and one wants to make a change. The real partner, the good partner, would be the one saying, you know what? I'm going to support you 110%. And I'm not saying that partner has to do the same thing. It helps big time if they do. But as long as they're supporting and supportive, then that's the main thing. But the bonus would be if they're both on board and they want to lose weight, they want to make a change, they both do it. That is the perfect example. But once one partner wants to and the other one doesn't, it's a, it's a battle. It's a fight. It's very difficult for the partner who wants to uh, become fitter and healthier to do so based on the other partner pulling back. Same as, let's say you have a group of friends that like to party, like to do drugs, that aren't very fit and healthy, and you want to lose weight. And every week you're going out with your mates and you're saying, you know what? I'm not drinking anymore. I'm not drinking today. And they're like, oh, look at you fucking pussy. You're not drinking. Well, what are you going to fucking get a six pack? Are they your friends? Are they truly your friends? If they tell you that, if they're not on board with you trying to lose weight, not on board with you trying to become better, not on board with you becoming a better version of yourself, think about that. Are they bringing you down or are they pulling you up? And unfortunately, I've had friendships go in my life that I thought there were any lifelong friendships and things happen just because you spent so much time with someone does not mean that 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 time is is of quality anymore and it serves you you know the sunk cost fallacy just because you've you've invested so much time into something doesn't mean it's worth it anymore we just we hold on to it because we've invested so much time if you and your friends are just talking about the past every single time you're hanging out what fucking what kind of friendship is that you're not talking about now. You're not talking about the future. You don't have any aspirations or goals. If you have aspirations to goals and your friends are all bums, maybe you need new friends. I'm not saying get rid of all your friends. You've got you know you got friends that are your day ones and they're still supportive even though they're probably not doing what you want to do, but they're still your friends and you talk about other things other than your past. Keep those friends. But if your friends are just you look at them and you think I wouldn't take advice from you ever because I wouldn't ever want to trade my life for yours. Maybe you need to reconsider what kind of friends you have. And here's a caveat. I'm going to be honest. Not everyone wants to be the best version of themselves. I'm going to say it one more time. Not everyone wants to be the best version of themselves because they know how much work it takes. Some people are happy being the way they are, happy with their job they have, happy with the partner they're with, with the friends they have, because they're complacent or they're you know content, whatever. And someone can say, oh, Thin, you can't pick and choose someone else's life. I'm not. If, they, if they're genuinely happy with that, fucking power to you. But if you know deep down that you could and can do better and you're consciously being put in those situations where you're like, fuck, I could do better than this. That's the hardest part. That sucks the most because you know you can do better. You should do better. And that is when when things really start to suck. When you know you have to get the wheels moving and putting everything into motion. For some people, like, you know what? I'm happy finishing my job that I don't really like, coming home and watching Netflix every day. There's nothing wrong with that. People like doing that. They like doing that. But if you have a fire in your belly and you know you could do better, this is a bit of a wake-up call. You can do better. I'm going to start... This is a bit of a warning. I'm going to start getting a little bit morbid with what I'm going to say now. But this has helped me a lot in my life. It's just understanding that you're going to be dead. You're going to be dead. Think about the queen, right? Queen Elizabeth, she ruled England as a monarch 
for like 70 fucking plus years, right? She amassed 99% of the world's wealth. And she was like the first female monarch. Everyone knew Queen Elizabeth fucking celebrated her birthday every fucking year. And no one talks about her anymore. She's dead. She's gone. We don't talk about her. We don't talk about the fucking Queen of England. So why do we care about what other people think? Because when you're gone, no one's going to talk about you anymore. And you know, even my favorite players like Ibrahimovic, Cristiano Ronaldo, Lionel Messi, even your favorite uh, favorite actresses and actors, Novak, even Novak Djokovic, like all these people that have done so much and are, are well known by everyone in the world, they're going to be gone one day. And even their legacy won't live on. Eventually in 200 years, they'll be forgotten. 300 years, they'll be forgotten. So why do we care about what other people think? Because their thoughts dictate our lives for most of us. You should you know, sit down and think about what do you actually really want? If other people are dictating your life and fuck, you're literally a zombie. <laughs> you have no control of, of your life and the things you like to do or what, what you want to do. Just remember that you know one day this is all going to be gone. One day your youth is going to be gone. Even when I think about you know training, like one day I'm going to be a wrinkly old fuck. Like I'm going to look in a mirror and I'm going to look at myself and think I don't even know who that is. I'm not. I'm going to know it's myself. Your face is going to change. Your body's going to change. Everything's going to change. Your brain. You're going to have so much brain fog. Things are going to slow down just because you're aging. That's just that's just life. And then you're going to be dead. So. You know, to, to think that people like in their 20s and 30s don't take care of their bodies, don't even use their bodies. Can you imagine going through your life and never actually pushing your body to even 50%? You're never exerting, never being like, I actually like feeling fucked the day after a session or like doing a, a CrossFit wad and laying on the floor, breathing out my ass. I, I love that feeling because I know one day I'm not going to feel that anymore. I'm going to be gone from this earth. And that's just an experience that I had. And I fucking love that experience. So it's yeah, it's sad for me that people don't have this connection. Look, you don't have to love training, but the only thing that you have is your body. The only thing that you have is your health and your own mind. You're in control of your life. Do what the fuck you want. Don't be hung around on some fucking strings like a puppet just because you know your your dad wants you to be a fucking doctor or a lawyer and you don't like <laughs> being a lawyer or a doctor you don't want to do that just do the things that you love you know it's best to disappoint everyone else but you make yourself happy obviously there's there's merits to that you don't be a you know a murderer or a pedophile or god knows what um you'd be a good human being but you do the things that uh you love and you think that you could give to the world not based on someone else's idea of who you should be and what you should do anyways that was, that was my rant this is a long episode but I, that, that's just like what I wanted to say. Like you are completely in control of your life. No matter how difficult it is, it is very hard. I'm not saying fucking overnight, you're going to you know lose weight, quit your job and, and start that business you wanted to do. It takes time. It takes planning. But know that you can do this. We're in a, in a, in a world right now where the internet can help you so much. You can learn so much and not just learn so much. You can use the internet to sell and to develop skills. This is the, probably the best time to be alive in terms of fucking your... You, the job that you want to do, you can do whatever you want. Use this time wisely. Just because your parents couldn't do it doesn't mean you you don't have to do it as well. We have that opportunity to do whatever we want. Use it. Because one day, this is all going to be a memory and you'll be gone. It's, and it's going to go very fast. All right. That's it. I don't I don't want to you know drill your brain anymore with my fucking rambles. But think about it. 
You're in charge of your life. I'll talk to you later. Look after yourselves and have a good day. Good night. Bye-bye.